Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to Asking for a Friend. My name is Katrina Buffard, and I'm a clinical sexologist and psychotherapist. This podcast provides you with evidence-based information and real-world advice about getting to know yourself better sexually, and it covers all those topics that we would rather ask about for a friend. Just a warning, this podcast may contain conversations of a sexual nature and isn't suitable for kids. Vaginismus. A word you are unlikely to have heard before, but really should know something about. It's a sexual pain condition that more women than you think struggle with. So I've asked Lisa McKenzie of the Vaginismus Network to join me on today's episode. Lisa talks to me about her own experience with sexual pain, the reasons for starting the platform, and gives us a really clear lesson on what exactly this condition is and some of the common experiences women with vaginismus have. I work extensively with sexual pain and I'm incredibly passionate about helping women overcome this difficulty that they can face. And I must say that this conversation with Lisa was one that I could have kept having for hours. I think that no matter if you identify as a female or a male or somewhere in between, you would benefit from listening to this episode and learning from Lisa, from her own personal experience, as well as from the experiences she's had since starting the Vaginismus Network. So Lisa, welcome to Asking for a Friend. I'm so chuffed to have you on the, the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to finally meet you, although virtually, but it's nice to put a face to the name. Same here. I, I have been following the work that you guys do for quite some time. Um, actually, I think pretty much since, since I first, since you kind of first came about. And for me, it doesn't matter where my client is based in the world, where I'm based. The Vaginismus Network is a platform that I will always refer my clients to because I mean, we'll get into it as we go through this podcast, but the number one thing that I, I hear from my clients, and I would say that probably eight out of 10 women will say this to me, oh my goodness, I'm not alone. It's not just me. I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought there was no one else struggling with this. And I've heard the feedback my clients have given me about the Vaginismus Network and how it has helped normalize the experience they're having and help them realize that they're they're not on their own. That means a lot. Thank you. Um, and that's exactly what we set out to do. So it's great that you're referring people on to us. Um, because, yeah, I, I felt exactly the same way for such a such a long time. Um, you do feel like you're the only person dealing with it and you're unique. Um, and yeah, it's, it's incredibly isolating. So we definitely wanted to kind of smash through that and make people feel connected. I think you've so far done a great job in doing that. I think it's important for me to say that the majority of people I say the word vaginismus to look at me with a very strange look on their face. Um, they have no idea what I'm talking about. And that was me when I was in third year uni. Um, mm. We had one lecture on sexual dysfunctions and the word vaginismus popped up and I was like, what? What is this word? And as a you know, pretty well-educated young woman, I'm you know, fortunate that I had a good schooling and you know, good tertiary education. I come from a medical family. I'd never heard of this term vaginismus. And 
that really bothered me as a 20-something-year-old woman when I had heard so much about erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation, but nothing mm. about vaginismus. So can you perhaps um, explore and explain what vaginismus is and how this, you know, kind of how many women might be affected by it? Yeah, of course. Um, and yeah, it's a strange word. Um, often when I share it with people, sometimes it's really great, actually, because people have heard of it. But often you're kind of met with, met with a bit of a, a blank face or a confused look. And it is an, an unusual word as well, isn't it? So, um, yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, vaginismus um, is essentially a, um, a psychosexual, psychosomatic condition. So it involves the um, mind and the, the body. Um, and it means that for the person with vaginismus, um, their vaginal muscles will involuntarily clamp up um, at any attempt at penetration. So that could, I always say, penis seems the obvious choice, um, but it could also be, you know, if they want to use a tampon, a moon cup, um, maybe if they, they're trying to get a cervical smear test and a speculum is difficult or absolutely anything, you know, your little finger, a cotton bud. Um, and it can affect people in different ways. I've understood this from talking to people through the network. So um, I always say there's sort of a spectrum of how it can impact and how it can feel. Um, for some people, it's uncomfortable and almost like, you know, hitting a brick wall. Um, for some, it's painful. And then it goes on to, for some people, extremely painful. And for others, it's just impossible. Um, there's two types of vaginismus so primary vaginismus is basically where penetration has always been an issue for the individual um, so it might become apparent maybe when they're in their teens and they start their period and try to wear a tampon or they first become sexually active um, and they realize that actually penetration is difficult. Um, and then there's secondary vaginismus, um, which can affect anyone at any stage in their life. So somebody might have never had any issue with penetration at all and might have experienced um, a very healthy, comfortable, um, pain-free sex life. Um, and then something might occur to bring on the secondary vaginismus. So it could be the result of... Um, you know, sexual assault or trauma. Um, I've heard of some women who um, experience secondary vaginismus after undergoing treatment for gynecological cancer as well. Um, so that's the, they're the two main forms. Um, I was reading up recently actually about um, situational and universal vaginismus as well. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, but basically situational is where Maybe it affects people um, or a specific person um, around sex, but actually they're able to insert a tampon completely comfortably um, and they're able to undergo a cervical smear test, whereas universal um, is essentially any form of penetration is an issue. Um, I thought it was quite interesting because it's quite complex anyway. And then, you know, there's these other two subsets. And I guess for myself, um, I definitely fall into the primary vaginismus camp and I'd say it was primary universal if you want to apply that subset as well. Um, and in terms of how many people it impacts, um, so the official statistic out there is um, two in every thousand or I would say one in every 500. I don't know why two in every thousand. Um, but I, it's, it's got to be much, much higher than that um, because vaginismus is a condition that can make the person feel 
quite ashamed and embarrassed not that they should but unfortunately they do um, and many people just do not talk about it or if they go to get some help for it um, they might be misdiagnosed or advised that you know this will be fine if you go and drink a glass of wine um, so there's lots of people I think who just don't report it um, because of the way they make it makes them feel or the way they are made to feel um, and I'd also hazard a guess that that statistic there is based on cisgender women only. So if you're thinking about individuals, you know, trans males, trans females, maybe non-binary individuals who also have vaginismus, it, it could even be much, much higher than that stat. I've actually heard a statistic. I'm, I'm trying to remember what study I read it in, which was one in six women can experience sexual pain, you know, and that's not necessarily specific to vaginismus because we get a yeah. lot of different types of sexual pain. We can get vulvodynia, which is pain, you know, on the vulva, which is what us ladies will see when we look in a mirror. That is actually our vulva, not our vagina. There's yes. Of, yes. Very important. I don't know why we were all taught it was a vagina growing up. And actually for the first few years of my career, I called it a vagina for a while, you know, about a decade ago. So we've got to really change our language. We can yeah. get, you know, we can get sexual pain if we're not sufficiently aroused enough. That's the most common reason for sexual pain. And then of course, you know, something like vaginismus, which is an internal pain that you're experiencing because of the vaginal muscles inside the vaginas the the canal inside our bodies but you know you touched on several things there that I, I want to kind of explore a little bit that I think are some of the causes and I think that shame is almost always present in my clients who have sexual pain and particularly vaginismus is that something you've heard from a lot of women as well that you've spoken to yeah, I think um, it's definitely one of the effects of it as well. So having vaginismus can make you feel ashamed and like you're, you're kind of different, especially growing up as a young woman. In terms of the cause, um, I definitely hear of people who, um, you know, might have experienced quite a strict religious upbringing um, where sex is seen as, you know, something to just do once you're married and sort of taboo um, and you know, I guess if um, someone unfortunately has experienced sexual assault as well, then I imagine there's those feelings around of shame around sex in addition. So it definitely plays a part for um, some people. Um, I'd say for myself, I so whilst I um, definitely kind of, you know, fell into the primary vaginismus camp, I could never really pinpoint a specific reason so I didn't personally like consciously feel shame around sex or anything and I was reflecting on this with someone recently and I said I think for me you know when you're growing up as a teenager you're almost like a sponge aren't you you're just absorbing all these messages and taking it all in and um, I think for me growing up the messages that were put out there in the media and kind of talked about in society where that you know your, your first time is gonna hurt and there'll be blood and you know all of these kind of horrible things and whilst I, I didn't really talk about that or it wasn't really a thing. I think I kind of absorbed a lot of those messages. So they were sitting there subconsciously. So by the time I got round to, um, you know, trying to engage in sexual intercourse for the first time, I think those messages were definitely acting as a blocker. Um, but for a long time, I didn't think about it in that way. And I did go through a period where it was really disconcerting because I thought, gosh, did 
did something happen to me growing up that I've completely blocked out from my mind that has impacted me and brought on the vaginismus? But um, I, I don't think so. <laughs> but it, it was really confusing for sure. It's so interesting, some of the things you've just said. So, yes, you know, I see the reasons why some of my clients are experiencing vaginismus from, you know, really negative messages around sex growing up that could be religious or cultural or familial in nature. Often I hear with, with, with women where their mothers have been quite, quite stern and strict and um, kind of deliberate about the way they speak about sex, where it's coming from a risk-based model, you know, it's dangerous, you know, don't, don't have sex, boys are dangerous, don't hold hands, whatever yeah. it is. You know, because of the mom's own teachings and education and her own anxieties, really traumatic gynecological experiences as well, um, traumatic sexual experiences. But actually, based on what you've said, and this is what I see often as well, sometimes it's the lack of positive messaging rather than negative messaging. Yes, yeah. That can be a huge problem. And, you know, there are very few cult cultures in the world or countries that promote you know, sex positive education, the Dutch are, are, are just some of them. They promote a, a model of sex education that focuses on joy, consent, pleasure, and permission. So not, you know, if you have negative messages about sex, that can very much lead to something like vaginismus. But as you said, like absorbing messages over time that weren't necessarily all, you know, danger and risk and whatever, without somebody saying, it's okay, this is normal, that's not normal, you know, this is mm -hmm. what it's really, really looks like, you're allowed to enjoy sex, you're allowed to say no to sex, without having that overt permission, it can also mean that you, you could develop something like vaginismus or, or any type of other sexual disorder. Yeah, ab absolutely, you've hit the nail on the head there. And I think um, sex education or lack of sex education plays um, a massive part in it and I think it's certainly added to my experience as well so my sex education was extremely um, it's very black and white very limited it was almost seen as a bit of an embarrassing thing to be doing um, you know we, we didn't cover off a, a wide range of topics at all so you know things like you've mentioned such as um, consent and you know pleasure and sexuality um, you know all of these other things and vaginismus to name you know one condition um, none of those types of things were discussed it was very basic um, and yeah I think had I had I had a better sex education growing up um, maybe you know I always say this like maybe had I been aware of vaginismus through that process then I might have plucked up the courage to speak to a friend or my mum or you know a close relative or somebody um, when I first started experiencing sexual pain um, and I might have been able to say you know I think I've got this I think it's vaginismus but um, I had no word for it and I didn't for a long time um, many many years um, so I think that's definitely impacted in terms of my own personal progress. And had I had a word for it, I might have dealt with it a lot sooner. Um, and I don't know where this one came from, but um, actually I think as well, you're just talking about the messages around, you know, we, we experienced growing up. I do remember being a teenager and sex definitely being um, 
more about the guy. It was very, you know, male, female, that's it. It wasn't about any other type of relationships, but also it was all about the guy um, and their pleasure. Um, and I remember feeling like that's, that's important. Like he's got to um, get enjoyment from this experience. And it almost felt like more important than my pleasure. And I don't know, I don't know where that came from specifically, but it definitely felt like a thing as well. I, I, I agree with you. And I think I also experienced that growing up. And if we just think about a biology lesson that we would have received um, at school, it focuses on male pleasure, you know, male inserts penis into vagina and male ejaculates, which is associated to male pleasure, but nothing happens with the woman. It's like, oh, she's just a, she's just there. That's what reproduction is about. Can we yeah. not have fun while we're trying to conceive a baby? You know, there's... Heaven there, forbid. Oh, God, <laughs> we should do that. <laughs> there is such a dire need for us to change the way we speak about sex so that it's not just this kind of heteronormative view of yeah. forming, you know, of one plus one equals two, and then nine months later you might have a child. So yeah. it, completely, it completely excludes all of the nuances about sex. You know, no one ever told me at school in my sexual education that there might be times I don't feel like sex at all, or maybe I won't orgasm, or I may feel sexual pain, or maybe my partner won't be able to get an erection. And while I understand that, you know, as, as, as young adults or teenagers, we need to have a comprehensive understanding of sex, but maybe not as detailed as, you know, sexual, um, uh, I don't know, sexual kink and things like that. We do mm -hmm. actually need to understand that it's quite normal for us to experience difficulties and there's nothing wrong with us if we experience them. And actually, mm -hmm. you're not alone. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things I would, I would love you to touch on, if you wouldn't mind, is just kind of what, what would what would tell us that you, a woman might be, you know, experiencing vaginismus? What kind of ex physical experiences might she be having or psychological, you know, things might be go going on for her? Yeah, I guess for me, um, a good analogy, I've shared this one before that Kat actually used to use around the physical manifestation um, is, you know, if I try and poke her in the eye, you're going to blink and protect your eye from that pain um I guess that's kind of you know how it is um for me personally I yeah for me I definitely experienced that it just felt like a bit of a brick wall um it was like this is not working this is not you know going in nothing yeah it's not working here um I I definitely experienced um pain as well kind of like sharp pain um and it felt very forced. Um, I think kind of on the spectrum, I'm probably more midway. So I've, you know, for some women, any form of penetration or person with vaginismus or any form of penetration can be impossible. And some experience like really excruciating pain. Um, so it really varies depending on the person. And I think that's an important point to make because it's not a case of one size fits all and you will feel this way. Um, you know, it, it can change as well. So, you know, sometimes if I'm mentally feeling better, then maybe I'll feel more relaxed and maybe it'll be an easier process. Um, so, yeah, it really varies depending on the person for sure. 
I agree with you. There's no such thing as a one size fits all model. And even in, in my approach to helping women who are experiencing vaginismus, it's not a one size fits all approach. So, you know, Lisa, just because this model worked with you doesn't mean that the next, the same model was going to work with the next woman. And it's for me in the, in the work that I'm doing with my clients, it's having to be very aware of the individual nuances of her experience, because as you say, it's completely unique where mm-hmm. you're describing like a brick wall and, and pain, you know, another woman might describe burning or tearing or stinging sensations yeah. and that might la- it might be there momentarily. It may last for quite some time after attempting penetration. So every woman's experience is different, but I think what, from what you've said and what I know is that sex should never ever be painful obviously unless that's your kink and it's a consensual kind of pain but sex should never be painful and so if sex is consistently uncomfortable painful causing you immense amount of physical and emotional distress it is something that you should reach out and get support for and you should reach out and talk to somebody about and I, I want to know now a little bit about the Vaginismus Network, you know, talking about a support network. Can you, can you share with me a little bit about your Unreal platform? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, so we've been around for so about three years now, but I'd say it's only the last year and a half that it's, it's definitely picked up more. And I think Instagram has played a massive part in that. I think it's an amazing platform for connecting people. Um, but Kat and I first met in person three years ago. So I, I'd spoken to a few friends about vaginismus and I was feeling in a much better space, but I still felt this desire to meet somebody else who just, just bloody well got how it felt and just understood. Um, And I found her blog online um, and we eventually met in person, um, as I say, three years ago. And it was at that meeting that it just struck us like how positively impactful and how life changing it was just to be in the presence of someone else who has lived your experience and just understands how you feel so it's amazing being able to talk to friends about it as well but there's nothing quite like connecting with someone who has lived the experience you know I was I was in the presence of this other person and I was talking about how I'd been feeling all this time and how it affected me and she was just sat there nodding and nodding and it was amazing. Um, it just suddenly felt lighter. I felt like I wasn't on my own. Um, it was such a profound moment and it made us realize that there's so many other people out there feeling isolated and broken and, you know, all of the negative things that we were. Um, and we just thought this isn't right. And surely we can, recreate this experience for other people and you know let's change that let's make people feel less alone and do something to help other people who are experiencing it Um, and that was our main kind of motivator to connect people and I guess for me personally there was a couple of other reasons as well so I'd felt like um, vaginismus had controlled my life for a a really long time it was almost like this dark shadow um, hanging over me or like something just sitting on my shoulder that I was carrying because I didn't speak to anybody about it Um, so it definitely controlled me and I thought you know the only way I'm going to take back control and start controlling it is to do something like this like it just felt for me the the only possible um, solution 
Um, and secondly, as well, I wanted to create something that I I could have really used as a young girl growing up um, with this condition. So, you know, I just thought, you know, I can't turn back time now. I, I, I could have made progress earlier if I had the right resources around me, but unfortunately I didn't. But what can I do to help other people? Um, and what would have I benefited from as a young girl growing up? And I think um, a sense of community and connection and empowering information and human information about the condition would have really made a difference to me. Um, so yeah, we set it up, um, as I say, three years ago, it, it felt really organic, actually. Um, it just kind of happened quite naturally. And the primary goal was to, as I say, connect other people living with the condition. Um, I remember saying to Kat, look, who knows where this will go? Like, we didn't really have a long term plan. Um, I said, if we can just help two people, so connect them and help them and make them feel better, then our job is done. Like, that's all that matters. Um, and that's the main thing we do. So, or the main thing we set out to do. So, we've got this buddy system um, where basically we encourage people to contact us with their age if they're comfortable to give it, um, their location and how they would like to be matched with someone. So whether that's in person and obviously post-COVID times now, um, you know, Skype, WhatsApp, email, whatever. Um, and if they're happy to provide other information, we can find um, someone quite specific to them. So they might say, you know, I, I'm a trans female. I would like to be connected with a like-minded individual or I have secondary vaginismus. I want someone who's been through that experience. Um, so we've connected um, you know, hundreds of people in that way. Um, and it's still ongoing, which is amazing. Um, we also just um, connect with people via email. So, you know, we always say we're not, not professionals. I can't give professional advice. I always add that massive caveat. Um, but we just connect with people and write to people um, via email. So it's a, a safe space for them to vent. Um, we'll have a chat. We'll signpost to professionals and useful resources. Um, and yeah, we have, it's, it's been quite, um, you know, surprising the amount of people who have reached out and it shows just how common this condition is. Um, we also host events. So pre-COVID, we hosted events at um, the wonderful sex shop Shush in London, which I'm sure you're connected oh, with. the most about. wonderful sex shop. <laughs> oh, they're it. amazing, aren't they? They're wonderful. They, you can go and have a cup of tea and get your vibrator. It's just fantastic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they've been so supportive from the start. So we've hosted um, some events at their shop and Kat's also hosted one up in Glasgow. Um, the events are incredible because you you know I remember it was our at our first event I looked around the room and it felt so empowering because there was a room full of you know people with this common condition and something they were struggling with and um I just looked at them and I thought well, you, you're you know interesting funny you've got a great life you're a kind person and all of these positive things and it just happens that we're all dealing with this common condition and I think events like that and meeting people in person are a really great way to normalize it and break down some of the barriers um, we also um, have quite a big blogging platform now so I'm always conscious that 
you know, I'm, I'm one person with my own experience. And even when you compare my experience to cats and to Natalie, who volunteers with me, they're all really different as well. So I want as many experiences to be shared as possible. And also it's an opportunity for people to have their voice heard as well, which can be a really empowering thing too. So we encourage people to write in and contribute to the blog. Um, I also encourage people to, you know, talk at our events if they'd like to. So we've had some online events since COVID and we've had some people that we've met through the network who have gave you know 10 minute talks about their experiences which has been brilliant um yeah and I, I get that it could be daunting doing things like that though so if you don't want to share your story um at an event or via our blog we still encourage people to reach out to us and share their experience privately with us because you know we're building our knowledge as well so the more we hear about people's experiences and what works for um, and what they're going through the the better we can help people by default as well um, so yeah there's quite a, there's quite a lot going on and we've got some stuff we'd like to do in the future but um, as we as we said at the start I've also got a full-time job so it's kind of balancing the two um, but I, I could not it's it always you know I could not do this without um, there's this amazing lady called Natalie who volunteers with me and I literally would be lost without her so it was late last year um Kat the other co-founder she is a freelance and she she'd spread herself too thinly um and obviously you know this is this is a passion project we're not doing it for money um so she had to commit her time to her paid projects which absolutely is understandable so she had to take a back seat and I sort of spiraled because we you know, suddenly my workload kind of with the network doubled overnight. Um, and we do get quite a lot of emails from people um, worldwide, which is amazing. But I always say if someone reaches out and shares, you know, a single sentence, I want to join a network, or if they share their life story, they're both you know equally important because it's a big step that someone's taken to reach out. And I was carrying this incredible guilt that these emails were piling up and I wasn't getting back to people and I really um, felt like I was spiraling and in the end I reached out to Natalie because I remember um, a few months previously she'd emailed us and she said you know I've graduated from university and I wanted to um, set something up like you guys and I found it and well done you know my job is done if ever I can help out let me know so I reached out to her and she's been volunteering I'd say you know four or five hours of her time a week um, and her support is amazing I don't know where she came from um, but she <laughs> she's a gift from above um, but she provides me with such support and she's also you know equally passionate about it she's got her own full-time job and her own life but she she gives her time for this as well which is great <laughs> so I felt like I had to give her a shout out because um, yeah she's amazing mm -hmm. I mean, the way that you're speaking about the community, even just between the three of you, you know, between yourself and Kat and Natalie, there's an immense amount of support. Um, and you've, you've mentioned it several times in the last few minutes of just how much this Vaginismus Network offers support from the buddy system to just dropping us an email so that you know you're not alone, so that we can say we understand, we've been there, we know what it's like, to events, you know, online or in person, to connecting people all over the world, 
to making sure that people don't feel alone and they feel supported in this. And, and Natalie obviously has done that for you in being able to keep um, Vaginismus Vaginist, Network going despite this being a passion project for you guys. And I'm so grateful to her because this is a platform, <laughs> you know, this is a platform that my, my clients really need and that people really need. And it's odd, but I almost, I almost feel really excited about the fact it's terrible to say, but um, there've been a lot of positives that have come out of this year and all of the stuff that we've had to deal with. But one of, one of the most positive things is that so much more is accessible because it's online. And I feel really excited that my my listeners in South Africa or in Australia or in, you know, the northernmost point in Iceland, you know, I don't think I have listeners there, but you know, one can <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe one day. Um, they can hear this and know that, oh, just because you guys are UK based doesn't mean they can't reach out to you. They can't uh, speak to somebody who knows what it is they're going through. Um, and you actually mentioned it earlier, you spoke about regret. And I hear that so often from my clients about, I wish I'd done this sooner. I wish I knew there were other people out there like me. I wish I knew other women experienced this. And I'm wondering what you would say to those women um, who feel that, you know, they, they've wasted time by not, you know, facing this head on when in actual fact, it was probably something that was very, very scary and intimidating to do. Yeah, I'd, regret is a big thing and I struggle with it for a, a, a very long time. Um, I guess I would just say that um, everything in the right time. Um, so maybe if I'd have dealt with it sooner, I wouldn't be feeling how I feel now. Um, maybe I wouldn't have had the right support around me. Um, so when I did finally you know, start dealing with it, um, I was fortunate enough to be put in touch with my therapist who's proven to be amazing, um, who put me in touch with Shush. I met Kat at that time, you know, all these kind of positives. And we went on to set up the network, of course, and all of those positives came from me dealing with it when I did. And maybe if I'd have dealt with it sooner um, or at an earlier age, you know, I wouldn't have had those things around me. So they wouldn't be part of my life. Um, so I guess that's how I, I reframe it. But I, I totally get the regret thing because I, gosh, I, I genuinely, this sounds a bit um, negative, but I genuinely like hated myself for a long time um, because I, I thought, um, you know, I, even though I didn't have a word for it, I always knew there was an issue going on. Um, and I used to beat myself up and say, you knew something was going on, but you didn't deal with it. Um, and I used to say, you know, you've wasted all these years and your late teens and your 20s when you could have been having fun and doing all these things that everyone around you was supposedly doing. Um, but instead, I lived a lot in my mind because I didn't talk to anybody about it. So, yeah, I used to be really horrible to myself and, you know, just just say, what a waste. You've completely thrown your life away. Um, but my therapist always said to me, you know, you, you cannot blame yourself because actually at the time you didn't have the right support or resources around you to deal with it. Um, and she used to say to me, you know, what would you say to your 16 or 17 year old self? That's a teenage girl there. If that was another teenage girl, would you, would you blame them? Would you speak to them how you're speaking to yourself in this horrible way? Um, so, you know, things like that kind of absolutely help. But for me, it was around reframing it. And I do believe in things happening at the right time. Um, 
so like I say, a lot of positives came from me dealing with it when I did. And I just try to remember that. Yeah, I, I take the same approach with my clients. You know, you didn't know then what you know now. And, you know, had you tried to work through this, then you may not have been able to access people that you're accessing now. And I also, I also say to my clients, well, how helpful is it to regret the time that you feel you've wasted or the time that you feel you didn't spend working on this? How helpful yeah. is that to you? Because as you've just said, you know, that compassion focused approach of, you know, would you really speak to a 16 or 17 year old girl in the way that you're talking to yourself in the way that you're beating yourself up for not doing something or, or for having done something in a different way? We never would. It's, it's, it's not something we'd ever do, but yet we're quite quick to do it to ourselves. We're not very nice to ourselves a lot of the time. We're um, not. <laughs> we're unfortunately, not. yeah. And we, we need often an external person to kind of say that to us, but that's only if we're sharing what we're saying to ourselves with another person. I yes. think that I've, you know, in, in the work that I've done and, and with all the women that I've worked with who've been, you know, had, had vaginismus and been able to get to the point of having pain-free sex with their partner, with their male partners, or, you know, being able to use a strap-on or a sex toy with their female partners or how incredibly rewarding um, that is for me, but how I, I'd love to know from you and your experience when you kind of um, worked through things, um, how that felt for you, you know, because you, you, you've, you've sat with this belief about yourself for so long that I'm on my own and is this just the way that things are going to be? Um, what was that like for you to see progress for the first time and to start to see, you know, progress over time? Um, yeah, sort of unbelievable, actually, because um, you, yeah, when you've kind of lived with something for a long time, um, and, you know, it was an issue of mine for a long time, I guess I did feel quite um, defeated. And I didn't really believe that um, th there was a solution, because you just, you sort of feel like, no, it's not going to work for me. And, you know, my therapist would talk about, um things that we could try and when she first introduced me to dilators I I was you know I, I bought them and I was keen but still there was this thought in my head say yeah yeah this is this is not going to work for me so when you do kind of see the progress in terms of that um it's it's really in incredible and rewarding um and yeah when I see the shift in my attitude as well um to relationships and dating um that's really kind of you know turned around as well because i i didn't really um i felt quite negative and quite defeated for a long time so when my first long-term relationship broke down um because of this um i and i hadn't talked about it to anybody and it was all kind of internalized and i i just didn't put myself out there at all um because i just thought well you know how can i possibly explain this to somebody um and also who who will want me and that's a really negative thought process but that's how i felt um and when i did start um you know feeling more confident with the the physical process and also um i thought i was mentally ready but i, I started you know putting myself out there on dates and stuff but i wasn't quite ready because i would go on dates thinking 
I really hope I don't like them because this can't possibly go any further. Um, and I, I would just go through the motions um, or I'd find a reason to not go on a second date with them. It was almost like this excuse. Um, and I remember my therapist saying to me, you're not giving them a chance. You're assuming that they're not going to be okay with this, but you're actually taking that power from them and you're not giving them a chance to respond. And that really struck me because I thought, actually, you know, we've, we've all got stuff going on um, and I'm just going on these dates and assuming that someone's going to react in a certain way. Why don't I just give them a chance? Um, and so, yeah, when I started to feel kind of more mentally prepared for that and I was able to you know, articulate vaginismus in a much more um, unapologetic and concise way. I did start dating again. And when I opened up to people, um, the difference was amazing. Um, and yeah, it definitely made me feel more confident. And actually, it's surprising that, you know, well, we shouldn't be surprising, but it was surprising for me that actually people are fine with it um and I always say if if you do go on dates and someone is not fine with it then it's more their issue than yours um and they're not the right person for you um but yeah like progress in terms of dating and putting myself out there has definitely been quite um amazing and also physically as well um you go from not being able to do something for so long or kind of you know being a big kind of issue or having a hold on you and then when you see that progress it is really rewarding I really loved the word unapologetic because that is so empowering I think you know in being able to say you know just like if you have I don't know an autoimmune disorder or mm -hmm. you have you know a thumb that turns in the opposite direction like this is just a part of you and also I think being able to to say it in in a way that says this doesn't define who I am this is something that you know I'm experiencing and I'm working on or you know that I'm empowered in or it, it's it's a very different view of it to what we would often hear you know at the very start of of a woman's process of working through this um, but I, I know that even with my clients just having them I get them to often keep a journal of um, progress and and things that they're really chuffed about and um, they didn't think that they could do so that you know when they're now moving on to the fourth dilator um, and I'll touch on dilation in a minute but when they're moving on to the fourth dilator they're kind of looking at it and going there is no way there is no way that can happen and I'll always say to them <laughs> I remember that feeling <laughs> let's just go back do you remember that you said that about the first dilator do you remember that you said that about the second <laughs> yes I right. know I looked at the fourth one and I was like holy shit <laughs> sorry like, I thought no way that this is going no there's no way so you know I I, I really encourage women who who are undergoing treatment for for their vaginismus and then you know to to take stock of their progress no matter how insignificant it might seem because often when we're looking ahead it's incredibly daunting and the future can be filled with anxiety but if we're looking back at how far we've come we realize actually we've overcome a hell of a lot and I hear so, from so many of my clients how worried they are they are that they might go back to square one and mm -hmm. for me, I will always say to my clients, that is not possible. You will never go back to square one because you know too much now. And so mm -hmm. even if we just have to drop down a dilator in order to just kind of get you more comfortable again with that size dilator before we move up again, 
it's not possible for you to go back to square one because you've learned too much, you know too much, and you've worked too hard at this already. So it may feel sometimes like you're stuck or that things aren't going as well as you'd like in the therapeutic process, but square one is not possible, you know, rock bottom again or wherever it is that they, they describe being when, when they came to see me. But would you just mind touching briefly on dilation as one of the um, approaches that we use to treat vaginismus? Yeah, of course. Um, so it definitely um, is a treatment that's been really positive for me. So for myself, it was a combination of dilating and psychosexual therapy. Um, dilating, I, I, I use the shush dilators and I feel very fortunate because my therapist put me in touch with shush and I you know, went to the shop and I had, I was there for about an hour and a half and Renee... I think I have Prosecco, but I don't like to say that too much in case the expectation is there for everyone. Okay. Prosecco Um, or a cup of tea? Both really comfortable. Maybe my therapist says she's particularly nervous. Give her alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the Prosecco helped. But yeah, I, I feel... I feel really fortunate that I got to have that experience because I went to the sex shop and I sat down with my Prosecco or tea and um, the lovely senior store manager, Renee, who you probably know as well, um, you know, she talked me through them and it normalized it. And I just, yeah, it just felt really um, empowering and lovely. Um, and I, I left about an hour and a half later, um, still feeling a little bit, you know, oh gosh, right, I'm on my own now, I've got to go and use these, almost like finding Nemo when he needs the coral reef. <laughs> um, I'm on my own in the big ocean. Um, but um, I certainly felt a lot more positive than I would have had I been um, handed one of the you know, kind of the typical white plastic ones you see maybe via the NHS. I think if that was my only option back then, I probably wouldn't have started it when I did um, because personally, the thought of that set for me just made me feel a little bit more. And I get that, you know, not everybody can afford a dilating kit. Um, Shush do a pay it forward scheme. So maybe look into that. Um, And they also sell them individually as well. So if you can't afford the whole set at once, you could buy them individually. Um, And there's also some other amazing dilators out there. I've used um, the Ann Summers, my Viv ones as well, which are brilliant. Um, But yeah, dilating um, is essentially a set of, and I never know, I always call them sticks, sticks or tubes or (laughs) (laughs) long objects that (laughs) increase in size, um, minus silicone and tapered, which really helps. Um, And it's just about getting your vagina used to being penetrated. Um, So it's... It's a process that I think requires a lot of patience. Um, So I started it and I would always say never compare yourself to anyone else because I used to read up about um, people who had dilated and, you know, started the process and maybe within a month they nailed the biggest one. Um, And I thought, you know, that doesn't work for me. I don't want to feel like I'm failing in some way. Um, Whereas for some people it takes a lot longer. Um, so I always said, right, don't compare myself to anyone else. And you also have to be incredibly patient because with dilating, it can be definitely a case of, you know, three steps forward, six steps back. Um, but it's, I always say, as, as lo- even if it's three steps forward, six steps back, you're still overall heading in the right direction. Um, but yeah, it's, 
it's a process of um, moving up the different sizes, but only when you're absolutely comfortable with the current one you're using and never, ever force it. So I remember going to see my therapist one week and I said, oh, and I used a third one. I got it in and I was all like celebratory. And she said, oh, OK, talk, talk me through it. What happened? And I saw her face changing because I talked about how, you know, I basically forced it and I didn't enjoy the experience and she was like no 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 <laughs> you need to go back for the second one this should not be a forced process you should not be uncomfortable um but yeah I I I did um I collaborated with Hazel Mead on our dilating is doable oh my goodness wow <laughs> um, she is a cool cool woman oh she is fab I love her pieces I met her through the network actually she talks um about her experience with vaginismus as well um but yeah and off the back of that um the therapist Kate Moyle and I have collaborated on um a kind of a blog piece on each of the tips so always um caveat that you know it's not a one-size-fits-all some of these tips might not work for everybody these are things that worked for Hazel and I and also for other people that we spoke to I'd say in terms of dilating what made a real difference for me um was when I started to once I got more comfortable with them once I started to incorporate pleasure into the process as well so I started to see it as a bit less clinical and a bit more of an holistic experience because I said to myself you know I, I I want to go through this process I want to be doing this um why don't I make it as enjoyable and as relaxing and as nice an experience as for myself as possible um because it used to feel quite clinical and I was sort of going through the motions and taking myself off where mentally um, but when I connected with my body definitely breathing techniques helped a lot um, incorporating pleasure and things like that they all kind of made a real difference for me um, but yeah I'd say to people um, dilating it worked wonders for me it works for a lot of people it might not be for everybody but go and read up on the dilating pieces we've done um, if you're considering doing it and hopefully some of those tips will help and I think there's a couple of things I, I would love to add to what you've said is that, yeah, it's completely normal that um, dilation is included as part of a treatment protocol, but it, it may not be necessary sometimes. But I think, you know, in, in a lot of the women I've worked with, dilation has played such an important role in, in increasing the level of confidence and the level of comfort she might feel around penetration as well as decreasing the kind of you know, neuropathic and muscular response to a type of penetration so it can be extremely extremely useful but i would caveat that and say i've had several clients who've attempted to use dilators on their own you know prior to any kind of therapeutic support or support from a pelvic floor physiotherapist and it's not been very positive experience and so they're quite anti using dilators when they do come and see me so i'd always suggest um, to anyone listening who's experiencing vaginismus not to attempt dilation on your own without the guidance and support of either a pelvic floor physiotherapist or a psychosexual therapist like myself or you know Kate Moyle as you mentioned who I had a lovely long um, chat to for the podcast last week um, 
And I think in, in South Africa, for, for any of my listeners here, you know, you can get fantastic dilators through several different um, sites, which I'll link in the show notes as well. And it's interesting what you were saying about the, the type of dilator. I know that, you know, some women don't mind the kind of white uh, silicon dilators. Other women quite like the colorful ones. The one thing, though, that I absolutely adore about the shush ones is the fact that they've got a little vibrator that can fit into the top of them. Um, so it can be a means of exploring pleasure as well. So yeah. I, I just think that that's so brilliant. It's not just this part of your treatment process, you know, pro protocol. It's actually something that can bring you pleasure. And on that pleasure subject, I'm actually starting my doctorate tomorrow, which is hysterical. Um, I don't know why I'm doing this to myself, but I'm very much <laughs> excited about it. And Good luck. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. We'll talk again in about five years' time when I probably have no personality <laughs> left. <laughs> um, I am... I am very keen on, on conducting my research on pleasure, the experience of pleasure in women with sexual pain, because what I see in the treatment process is it's all about getting to pain-free penetration, but pleasure is often left out of it. You know, mm -hmm. it's okay. Let's, let's get you to a place where you and your partner can have pain-free sexual intercourse. Wonderful. But sex is not just about being pain-free. You know, sexual yeah. health is not simply the absence of illness or disease or dysfunction. We need to look at sexual health as including pleasure as, as paramount. So I jumped in my seat when you, you mentioned that actually you brought pleasure into your experience and also in the fact that actually being aroused helps your body relax. So yes. You're, if you're aroused and you're relaxing, those muscles are going to be relaxing. So between the breathing and the you know, pleasurable sensations, it's actually going to mean a, a much more, I don't know, um, enjoyable experience overall, but also leading to a better outcome for you because it's not just about achieving pain-free penetration, but also getting yourself used to penetration and pleasure as a you know, mm. one plus one equals two. Agreed. And it's a reward cycle, isn't it? Because if you're enjoying something more and getting pleasure out of it, then of course you're going to want to do it more. So it definitely made me get into the dilating process more. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's such a valuable um, bit of information that you've shared there. I really want to keep talking to you for, for an hour more or maybe five. Um, <laughs> I know that we just got to lose some listeners at about, at about four and a half hours at least. Um, <laughs> so, so the way that I end each podcast is just to ask, um, to ask my guests, you know, based on, on the work that you're doing, um, ongoing and doing in the Vaginismus Network, you know, what, what has been the one thing that's really surprised you since you started this work, since you, you, you embarked on this journey? Yeah, um, I guess the thing that surprised me the most is that it really is more common than you, you think. So when we set the network up and when I researched the condition beforehand, you know, I knew I had the stats in mind. Um, I was told that my suspicion was obviously that it was much higher than that. But I guess it's only when real life people reach out to you and, you know, you, you see a name in your inbox or you see a photograph and a face and they share their experiences that it kind of, um, it brings it to life. You know, they're not a number or a statistic. They're an actual living, breathing person. So I guess it's just the proof that it was more common that surprised me. Um, because we've spoken to and connected with so, so many people 
worldwide living with this and it's really really brought it to life how common it is um and i guess as my confidence has built as well um since starting the network and i'm certainly talking about it a lot more um it's shown even more how common it is um, so for example i <laughs> put something on instagram recently a couple of weeks ago i was um I was out buying some new glasses and I spent about an hour with this wonderful sales assistant um, and we were just you know talking about everything and everything and she was helping me buy my glasses um, but we we started talking about what we do for a living and then something said to me I'll tell her about the network um, so I I opened up to her um, and I mentioned the word vaginismus and then her face sort of change a little bit um and i thought oh god have i said the wrong thing have i kind of impacting or something um and then she said to me gosh she said i had that condition for seven years and from the age so from the age of 17 to um about 24 um she said i had that condition and um I, you know I overcame it but she said yeah it was it was horrible and I, I didn't realize it was so common um so it was just interesting just open up to this stranger <laughs> she'd experienced the same thing um and yeah I'm, I'm I'm having more and more of those um experiences so I remember a really profound one for me was um just after I'd set up the network so about three years ago I was at a party and someone who's been in my life for you know as a friend for about i'd say at that time 16 years or something um she and i got talking on our own and she said to me afterwards oh she said i just felt compelled to reach out to you that night and to open up to you um but she just started talking about um when she was in her early 20s and how um, she had painful sex and how penetration was difficult and how her now husband you know was really supportive and everything and I nearly fell off my seat because we'd known each other for so long um, but we we were we were rudely interrupted so we couldn't finish that conversation but I texted her that night and I said look here's a link to what I've just set up I think this is the condition that you're talking about as well tell me if we're on the same page um, and she replied and she said oh my god and she's like you know had I had something like this growing up with the condition I would have made such a difference to me and we got talking about it and it really struck me it struck me again in terms of how common it is because I thought wow this friend and I have you know been in each other's lives for 16 17 years and both suffering in silence but in parallel and we could have helped each other so much but because of the shame and the stigma that comes with this condition we just both suffered in silence and I thought what a missed opportunity um, so yeah just things like that experiences like that make me realize that it, it really is more common and it's so important to talk about it if you're able to yes 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 we need to talk more we need to normalize this more we need to get women to feel less um discomfort and embarrassment and shame around it more and more and more lisa where can people get in touch with you um so we've got a website um vaginismusnetwork.com you can contact us via that if you want to join the network if you want to be matched up with somebody we're also on instagram and twitter at the vag network um, i'd say 
Instagram is definitely where most of our activity happens um, and where we put lots of our stuff out. So definitely follow us on Instagram, reach out to us um, and connect with us that way. Thank you for giving me some of your time today. It's been invaluable and I know that my listeners are going to feel the same way. So thank you for sharing with us. Thank you so much. and Thank you for having me. Got a question you'd like to ask for a friend? Reach out to me via my website or Instagram and I'll be sure to include it in a Q&A episode soon. You can subscribe and follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it.